that issues us into our two-hour weekday get-together. This one happens to be the Friday edition. Brent Winters is on. A couple other folks are on already, and it's the time, date, stamp, October 30th, 2220. I heard that the other day. I liked it, Brent, 220. And uh, it is, of course, the eve of the Devil's Day, and we're coming to the end of the Devil's Month, and we got a big election next week and all kinds of stuff coming at us from every direction. We love to have those situations and talk about all the analysis there and to have Brent with us especially to tie it back in historically and scripturally. And uh, Roger Sales is your host. The Radio Ranch is the label on our two-hour quilting session, and the People's Patriot Network is our platform. Hey, Brent, welcome aboard, buddy, again. Well, thank you, Roger. Of course, it's good to be here. I hope you're still doing well down there in the southern part of the atmosphere of the new world. Pretty good. Pretty good. Things Have things let up down there? Yeah, it's kind of letting up. I'm seeing more people walking around without masks. Uh, uh, and in my particular situation, I'm never really directly involved in that because I live kind of out in the country and I don't interact with all that stuff on too much anyway, on a daily basis anyway. I got to get out in it later this afternoon, but one or two days a week, you know. So I haven't been affected too much. Um, so it's been all right for me just the aggravation having to wear that mask to go into the grocery store i like to shop in that aggravate aggravates me to no end but uh, uh-huh. you know i can i can deal with it for a short time are people down there watching the progress of the election up here in the states you know actually a lot of people are very conscious of it uh, uh, it seems all over the world uh, i've been watching some of these sky news video clips uh, out of australia boy they're they're hyper conscious of it down there uh yeah I, I think a lot of the the public awareness has grown at a, at a percentage where a lot more people are tapped in and paying attention and asking questions yeah, and it shows me, too, I cease to be amazed that the whole world increasingly feels like that what happens here will control them. Very All much the so. Very much so, uh, Brent. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we think here, and we get the impression that we're going down, and because things have never been worse as far as the inner attitude of Americans, a critical mass of their headedness which direction their nose is going it isn't good but still there must be a vestige of what is good here and what is right i like to say we just we've got all the machinery in place we just need to prime the pump we've we've uh we've forgotten who we are but the rest of the world has not forgotten who we are my friends in canada tell me that Canada recognizes clearly, and everybody knows, that what's happening with this face diaper phenomenon is all about America. And the object is to bring America down, and the Canadians tell me that they realize that they are the path into the United States to bring us down. 
and they're already down. In other words, they have no government up there. From what the people that live there tell me that I know, right. there is no government up there, but this silly Frenchman they've got, whatever his name is, and he he says his word is law, and, and apparently uh, their government up there goes along with that even more so than the presumptive sillies down here. Do you know the, that guy's background? It's interesting because we got a Canadian in our Tuesday lunch group. And so, and he's a real bright guy. And so we have these discussions and I had stumbled on this video and this information a while back and something I'd watched here over however long. And it stuck in my mind. Do you know his background? What? Trudeau, the guy that's up there now, the kid. Oh, no, 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 I don't, huh? Oh, he's, I know his father. His father was a big shot. That's not his father. That's the pretty much the uh, focus. It's his mother. Yeah. Oh, okay. Who it's is his, it? his mother, who is very flamboyant and all that stuff, and had a very, uh, let's say, an attraction to communism. And it, it is reputed that she had an affair with Fidel Castro, and that this is his illegitimate son. Oh. Well, of course. Now, I, uh, look, you can go back and find that. I'm not an expert Canadian. I don't know all the background, but I know yeah. the surface. And and go back and look at it because it, it wasn't just Castro. She was she was fooling around with it was a bunch of people, and uh, there's a lot of aspersions there that can be cast. Uh huh. Well, uh, when you run in circles like that, you're going to get accused, and the the burden then falls on on him to prove otherwise if he doesn't like it but it's not on us to if you if <laughs> if you give all the appearances of that kind of uh, world in your life and that's what he's giving now the guy's a left-wing wacko no yeah. question yeah and it needs to be said he's whacked out he's deluded his mind has been compromised he's not thinking uh, there's a lot of people in the world like that it's not like it's uncommon no, but when they get in those kind of positions of power, then uh, yeah, he the burden should be against, or the burden of proof should be on him, and the presumption should be against the holders of power. When anything goes wrong, when someone in power is accused, the presumption against the holder of the power, the presumption against the rightness of what he has done should be against him to the proportion of power he has. The more of the power, the greater the presumption. And therefore, he has to prove that he's right instead of us having to prove that he's wrong. It's a powerful That's word, true. presumption, buddy. <laughs> I'm really okay. coming to understand the power in that word. Well, a lot of people presume a lot of things about the word presumption. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. I'd say it's a multifaceted definition like everything else we deal with. Yeah, it's really it's, important. It hit me yesterday. Yeah, if you don't yeah. preempt, the presumption takes over. If you don't preempt, the presumption takes over, you say? Yep. That seems to be yeah. the case. If you don't go in there and preemptively stop it somehow in its tracks, the presumption is going to roll over you. But the presumptions, sometimes a presumption can be a proper presumption. Correct. You're talking about an, an unlawful presumption. I am. I, yeah. But if the presumption is unlawful, then the lawful presumption needs to put, be put in its place. Correct. 
That's why yeah, you need yeah. to, you know, one of our listeners, so we've got so many people that are getting into this and studying and reading. One of our newer guys called up yesterday and found on the State Department website down at the bottom in the fine print, I guess. I haven't gone and looked at it. I need to, of that certificate of non-citizen nationality. They've got a one-sentence rebuttal of the presumption down there on the State Department website. One sentence. Well, that's brand new, isn't it? No, evidently not. We just hadn't seen it read thoroughly enough, seen the fine print and all that. Uh, but And that's been my contention. You see, they've got to recognize this. They, they, uh-huh. can't, uh, they can't make gravity turn around. They make and give a semblance, and people think that they're pulling some trick to do it, but they can't do it. They can't overturn God's laws. All they can do is bring in this fraudulent system and trick you into telling them your whole life when they ask you in a coded way, are you in this condition of servitude? And you say yes, because you didn't know any better. Well, brother, let's let's back up, Roger, because I guess you kind of opened the subject up, and I I kind of threw out an idea, and then you said, well, yeah, that's a big deal. But uh, this whole thing revolves, that you're talking about, of course, revolves around concept we call citizenship understanding citizenship now am i reading you right roger yeah but let's let's pinpoint that a little bit more and call it political status oh that's good so you're saying citizenship is a political status sure it is okay so if it's a political status to put it in english that means it's a political standing to do something and you have a standing to do something it's your legal personality Okay, but if it's your legal personality, you said status, that still means that you have a certain standing, doesn't yes, it? Yeah, 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 I would say so, yeah. Well, I'd say, okay, so if, if you're a citizen, uh, if you are a citizen of some country, let's say of the United States, then you have a standing to do certain things, and the law says you can do certain things that a non-citizen can't do. Am I Yeah, you want to take it back legally, I always go back to, because I found over all my years that John was correct, at least this is the way I've learned it, and it it fits, is that formula, that simple formula, R plus D equals R. Okay? Rights plus duties equal remedies. All right? And, And how you find out your legal personality is from where you get your rights and to whom you owe your duties. That's what person you are, and that's the legal nomenclature for what we're talking about, political status and citizenship. Okay, now, wait. Now, we've talked about this so much, Roger, and every time you talk about it, then I hear something else that I want to bring up okay. and then uh, let you weigh in on it. But uh, uh, say that equation again, please. R plus D, rights plus duties, equal uh-huh. remedies. Okay, then Brent would say, Brent would say, duties equal remedies because it's my studied conclusion that rights, I, our rights are duties. In other Correct. words, I'd always heard when I was growing up that every right has a corresponding duty. And then when I, I said, oh, that makes good sense. That sounds responsible. Then I got older. I said, well, it's even stronger than that. Uh, every right is a duty, a right, the word right. And it, it, the old Germanic root means duty. It doesn't mean anything else. It is a right is not something that, um, 
that I, I have for selfish purposes. I, my rights, I have a right to, to bump body parts with another man in holy matrimony. No, I, that's, a, that's a lie. It's certainly not a duty. But if we understood it the way the old Germanic word, um, according to its etymology and its meaning, as our, our forebears understood it, we wouldn't be having these silly discussion about being a, a practicing homosexuality as a right. Correct. correct. If, no, if you can't say it's a duty, then don't be calling it a right. But, of course, we've hijacked the word and hacking it, and it doesn't mean it. So and, rights would equal remedies. Or yes, you could, and listen, I agree with you on that. that they're basically the yeah. same, and I've thought about it because we've talked about it so much over the years. But the reason that I, the reason I approach it the other way, is because most of these people that we're introducing this material to don't have wow. that background to be able to think at that conceptual level. I want them to start getting basics and and being able to work these things out. And when they've been in thought about it and got themselves adjusted to the water level they can think at those higher concept levels yeah. but yeah. that's the reason i do it intentionally that way oh, and because that's yeah. the way i was taught okay oh uh-huh and that's the the popular understanding of the word right and it's a false understanding there are no rights i had a guy well this guy that i went uh, head to head with um, about the constitution down there in missouri at that trial um, he says that the word right doesn't appear in the Bible. And he makes a big deal about that. Therefore, he says we don't have any rights. Well, he is taking the word right in its false, in its false popular definition mm -hmm. when he says that. Because mm -hmm. knowing what he thinks, I agree with him on that point. But on the other hand, on the other thing, there are no rights understood the way rights are understood, but rights are duties. To put it more precisely in the Bible, a right is a permission. It is a license. Yeah. And I say that, I have to unpack that a little bit. Every right we have, whether it's a fundamental right or another kind of right, it is permission. The only difference is it's either permission from our maker, which we call a fundamental duty, or it's a permission from men, which we call a civil right which is really no right at all. It's a privilege. Like, it's a privilege. Yeah. Well, a privilege too. God gives us privileges, license, privilege. I take those to be synonymous. God gives us privilege. Mm -hmm. He gives us mm -hmm. the privilege of life. Well, because it comes from God and it comes directly to me, it's, uh, I, I, I tend to categorize that with another word. So I, I understand the difference. I call it a fundamental right. Uh -huh. I have life, liberty, and property. That's And among other rights, says our declaration. Well, those are fundamental, straight from God, right to the individual, no mediator, no institution, no church, no government between me and God, just me and God, namely through his son, Jesus Christ. I have duties. And uh, I call those fundamental and that no government of men or no man has, a, has jurisdiction to interfere with that. That's why we have the Bill of Rights. Uh, but then we come to the, 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 uh, the fishing license or the hunting license the government gives you. Well, that's not a fundamental right, but it's still a permission in both cases. And in the Bible, the word that's used, the words that are used always have the idea with them of permission, whether it's from God or from men. It depends upon the context in which the word is used. For instance, it says in Romans 13 that all authority or jurisdiction or warrant or right, those are all synonyms, is from God. He is the ultimate source of all of it. So 
if he gives me directly a duty, a right, well, that's a fundamental right. But if he gives it to me through the channel of other men, uh, like a hunting license, but the Bible still says it's all from him, every bit of it, every bit of it, it's lawful. But that word translated authority is the word uh, exousia, appears four times in the first two verses there. Well, uh, two times, I should say, four times. <laughs> it, it appears a few times. I, I'll, I don't want to get into I, I was talking about how many times the King James Bible puts it in there, but they just put it in there when it's not there in a couple instances. But exousia means permission uh, from somebody. And what he's saying there is all permission, all authority, all duty, if it's, if it's lawful, it's from your maker. Even if it comes through men, but the duties that come direct to a, ma a person, the individual, and not through other men by way of conduit, well, that's, uh, that's all from God. It doesn't make any difference how it gets to you. But we still distinguish the two. That's all I was saying, Roger. We uh, distinguish you, 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 from God, direct, and permission God gives us through men. Delegated. I, it, I always find it instructive to, to look at things from the dialectic. And one is, you mentioned the word several times, license. If you go to the law uh, dictionary, blacks especially, it'll say permission to do that which is otherwise illegal. Huh. Well, it'd be it's, if you don't have license... It's not, it's not allowed. That's yeah. another good word. allowance. Yeah. And, allowed? and you know, as yeah. we're approaching people, this has just hit me. We uh, brought it up yesterday, and uh, we've stressed and learned over the years to try and present the dialectic to people, and uh, let them sit on on the equivocation. And realize there's a contradiction there. Well, the basic one I've always liked to use is, are you free or are you bond? You could say slave, same thing. Are you free or are you slave? Well, if they say that they're free, like so many people falsely believe, then you ask them, well, tell me how many things can you do without a license, a permit, or permission? Uh -huh. And if they say and they have an intuition that they're enslaved, then you say, would you like to see how it's been done and how to get out of it? Yeah. So you got them both ways from the are you free or are you bond? And that's the way you open up people's minds as you present the contradiction, the equivocation on these yeah. key things and you you present them if you want to if you want to say it another way brent you'll like you present them with james 1 8 yeah go ahead what is it a double-minded man is uncertain in all of his ways oh oh roger i'm glad you brought that up but we were talking about that the other day yeah that's the one that uh you see, that's what they've done. They've gone in here with this trick and taken these keywords and concepts, given them a double definition, and then sold your subconscious on the one they want you to bite on. So what you've got to do is understand what they've done and go back to each one of these in, 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 in these keywords and get the correct definition in your subconscious. It overturns the programming, and when that happens, you get a small slice of consciousness back. Wow, yeah, the, a lot of stuff here. Now, boy, the Bible says that everyone, everyone is concluded to be doomed without appeal. 
that means you're in bondage and the, it says that also you're not only in bondage you're in you're enthralled enthralled there's another word that's been hijacked that means you're enthralled them that means you're in abject slavery you are a slave to evil to your flesh and you're in bondage and then it it also says that god has taken some persons out of that enthrallment that bondage that enslavement and uh it goes on to tell us that if the son makes the son being the son of god jesus christ makes a man free free you know, makes a man free better just say frees him if the son of god frees a man he is truly free not in his mind not not forensically no matter what anybody else says he's free now here's what i'm coming to roger there are a lot of people who are free forensically truly lawfully free that think they're still slaves that's true and that's what one of the things that the bible the new testament unpacks it to a greater detail of course because of the the greater revelation it has you're free and what you're talking about and I, we've discussed this before you're talking about you're talking about men uh gaining the confidence of freedom because it is utterly impossible as a matter of law that anyone could ever enslave me that's correct ever it's done with yeah. fraud I, I mean it's been done with fraud from the ab initio uh, i like that phrase but it hasn't it hasn't been done what i'm saying is they can make a fellow think it's been done yeah well, it hasn't been done. It hasn't. You know, because in, in essence, yeah, that's right. Because now what we found out, this was, a, you know, I've had to come to this through the back way of thinking to understand it. And lately, we found both the original legislation and the restatement with the Secretary of State with that very simple statement, all U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. It's a duopoly. You have a dual, a dual political status and they lay the presumption out there via fraud, and you uh, uh, consent to it. And now, you see, all that is important to this point. This is how they've gotten the darn thing constitutional. It's extra constitutional because now they've got the consent of the governed, and that's the most important thing they crave. But I want to get back to also this whole idea of citizenship because – there isn't a word in the Anglo tongue that I've been able to find, and I've been looking for a long time, that that uh, compares to the word citizenship. And the word citizenship is out of the evil empire. It's out of the law of the city. No, I shouldn't say, shouldn't say citizenship. Citizen. The word citizen is out of the evil empire. And uh, that's what the, uh, Babylon, uh, the Babylonian city-states of the world of course, it's from the Greek tongue or the Latin tongue, civis, which means city. And you become a part of the fraternal secret mystery religion, the Gnosticism of the religion of the city. Rome was founded like that. Rome was founded on a religious foundation. All governments, of course, rest, rest, uh, they rest upon a religious foundation. It's impossible you could have any government yep. among men that doesn't rest, rest <laughs> on a religious foundation. And uh, because to have to have government, there must be law. There must be a standard. And if there is a standard of law, it, the standard can only 
uh, be the product of a lawgiver, whether whatever you say it is or you think it is, or he or she or it is. And a lawgiver being the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. And if your lawgiver is anything but the maker of heaven and earth, then you are a pagan and a demon worshiper. That's what the Bible teaches, and I think I can see that clearly through the history of mankind. But if your lawgiver is the true lawgiver, well, you've got the true religion, as James says, but nobody's going to escape. No individual among Adam's race can escape religion. Everyone has it. A lot of people don't think they do. A lot of people, most people probably haven't even come to a clear understanding of what religion is. I agree. But if, yeah, but if you, if you, um, anyway, you can't have a government without religion. Well, let me give an example. When the Antifa people were burning stacks of Bibles out there in California recently, do they have a religion? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. They're rejecting one lawgiver, and they have another. I'm not. I'm not sure what they think it is. It could be, and lawgivers can be several things, several things at the same time too. Many lawgivers and many religions. Matter of fact, polytheism is one of the hallmarks of the evil empire. But coming back to citizen, the word citizen then arose out of Rome. Rome was founded, of course, uh, during the time that the Greek city states were picking up steam. But the Greek city states. People and let's talk about Victor David Davis Hanson, of which I like to listen to him because he does know a lot about his subject, and you do too. And he he makes some profound observations that are important. But he he spent his life studying paganism. What paganism does he study? What evil does he study? He studies and knows well the the the, the system, the Babylonian system, as the Greek city states expressed it. There had to be, number one, a city, like Babylon. Babylon's really brought the whole idea to sophistication, the law of the city. But from Babylon, then, were developed all, and it scattered with the scattering from Babylon, Genesis chapter 11, all the skions of the evil empire, which are the city. And uh, Athens, being the foremost of the Greek city-states, took it to the highest level of uh, the highest level that had ever been taken. And here's what we, what the reason we believe that is because they wrote it all down in great detail and got in the habit of writing it down. And we have what we call the classic writers of the, of the Greco Roman world. And then the Romans, of course, they got the idea and they picked it up in the Latin tongue. Well, this whole idea of citizenship in the to the Greeks was politikos, 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 polis being the word for city, uh, politikos, politics, we call it, but the Romans called it citizen and citizenship. It's all, the, in, in those two words, those uh, Greco-Roman words are tied up, are tied up the evils of the Babylonian system. Uh, he didn't see it that way. He didn't talk about it that way. Again, not uh, at all um, criticize his level of learning and understanding that he is taken from that because he's devoted his life to understanding the, the Greek classic writers. He's taught it and he ties that in, the observations they've made into reality in a powerful way. I'm just making the point, that's all part of the evil empire. Uh, the classic writings of the, of the world of, among humanity are not the classic, the classic Greek authors. They are the 66 writings of the Bible. There is no more power and truth that can be found anywhere in those books. Part of them, 
are written in the Greek tongue, of which he's familiar, but much of them, almost 70% of those writings are written in the East Semitic tongue, the, uh, the Hebrew tongue. And uh, within that, and all of those writings, by the way, arose. Those writings arose at the same time of the Greek city-states. But the word citizen, and we've taken that word into our, it's even in the part of our Constitution of the United States, and we've taken that in, and we've, um, we've taken on that idea that is really something that we've, we've lifted from the, from the uh, Greco-Roman world. It's not part of our common law tradition. And what we say is, what we say is a citizen, a citizen of the United States or the state of, of um, Indiana or Maryland or whatever state has privileges. They have privileges. They have rights. That's the, that's the, the Anglo word that other people may not have. It gives you a special standing, a special status. To, uh, even in the Roman Empire, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts asserted his Roman citizenship on more than one occasion to save himself from being beaten half to death or killed. He said, I'm a Roman. One time they jailed him, beat him bad, beat him up half to death, threw him in the jail. And then they, he said to them after they got him in there, said, you fellows don't understand. You're in big trouble. Why? Because I'm a Roman citizen. And the jailer said, I bought my citizenship with a great sum. And Paul, the apostle said, I was born free buster. Now here's, here's the, Here's a distinction from the Bible. He said, I bought my citizenship, my freedom by a great price. And he said, I was born free. I was born a citizen of Rome, not a citizen of the Roman Empire. There was no such thing as a citizen of the Roman Empire. There were citizens of the city of Rome, period. And if you were a citizen of the city of Rome, you could be a citizen of the city of Rome and live anywhere. But there was no concept in the Roman Empire of the empire being that of which you are a part, a citizen. No, you're a citizen of the city of Rome, and the city of Rome is the preeminent city that rules the world. That was their view. Oh. And uh, we took that idea and said, well, we can, we can be citizen of a country. That's, that's, uh, that's really not part of any understanding anybody it, in the ancient world ever had, and much less in our common law tradition. Go ahead. It strikes me that the first 200 years of Rome was under the just Seville, the law yeah. of the citizen, basically, of Rome, that when it was analogous to our common law and the Ten Tablets and all that history. Well, it was, it was analogous. They tried it, Roger. It never reached what our common law was. They tried it, and they could never make it work. And the reason they could never make it work, and they didn't make it work, and they, like a dog going back to its vomit, they went right back to Babylon. People hold in high esteem the Roman Republic and the Greek Republic of Athens. Those places were manure pits. I mean, if you live there, people like us in America, if we have any Christian sensibilities at all, we'd say, we got to get out of here. These people are crazy. I mean, the fellow that wrote, the fellows that wrote so much and are so well-known, Aristotle and Plato, about the, the the Greek Republic and the city-state and democracy and all that baloney. They were queer. They were pedophiles, for crying out loud. Now, if you have any of the sensibilities of decency in you, you're not going to brook people abusing children. Well, that's what they did. That's what they did. And uh, even Aristotle, who was it? Aristotle said that, uh, what was that? Alexander the Great 
he said he, he was his most ruthless student. Well, the reason he was ruthless is because he was, he was sodomized as a boy by him and others. And of course, he then became nothing but a drunk and he died uh, having drunk so much wine in the drinking contest. When he was not much over 30, they found him face down in the river, dead, drowned. Th these people were, were not somebody you would want to emulate. But yet, the uh, modern world holds them up as though there was something glorious. Just because you can build beautiful buildings and because you can carve beautiful statues of naked bodies that are beautiful and you write beautiful words, that doesn't mean you're decent and anybody you'd want your daughters around. And that's the way they were. Oh, there are people today, the playwrights of Hollywood. A lot of them are sodomites, as we know. We know that. And that's, it's been that way. The play actors, same way. Remember what happened to Rock Hudson? The, <laughs> Rock Hudson. How did he die? He died without dignity as a homosexual. That's how he died. Now, there are a lot of people like that. They could do wonderful, beautiful things. They present a beautiful picture. And the devil, the Bible says, comes to us as an angel of light. He comes to us in beautiful garbs, and the people that follow him are beautiful. But we don't we don't talk about what happens to them in the end. In the end, they come to, and the, the hell they cause for other people and the despair. So I have to remind myself because, boy, when you see, uh, you read what the Greeks did and all the things they said and all their statuary and all their architecture and all the high-minded things they talk about. Oh, they could see, like, who was that playwright? Oh, he was so famous, I can't remember his name. He was the one they put him on trial. He seduced a nobleman's nephew, made him so upset, so angry. He seduced the boy, sodomized him. He finally, through his political power, took him, got him to criminal trial. And uh, he was a great playwright. But as he was on the witness stand, and he was hard by that time and ugly. He was just an old, old pervert. But he said the difference between, he said this under oath, he said the difference between me and all you other straight people here is, I may be lying in the sewer, but he said, I'm gazing at the stars, and you aren't. Don't think that these pedophiles that are abusing little children uh, don't have, don't can't see the beauty of what things could be. They do. They see it, and they write about it, and they talk about it. It's the fantasy, the way the world could be. The, the, the whole evil empire lives in fantasy, um, the, the, the Roman priest that tortured and killed so many people in his backyard. And now, now he's become the Thomas More Society. When I was in law school, they had the Thomas More Society and all the Roman Catholic students wanted to belong to it because it seemed like such a, a nice thing. And he, the Roman church sainted him and all, but what they don't tell people is he tortured, he tortured people in his backyard. He had that kind of power until they told him what he wanted them to tell him. Sir Thomas More. And then, of course, when he, it came his time and Henry VIII prosecuted him, he demanded all of the due process rights at common law that he did not afford to those he, who he tortured and killed, Sir Thomas More. But he wrote a, a piece called Utopia. Utopia. It became famous. Utopia, about the way things ought to be in government. He had it all right. But he was wise enough to say, you call it Utopia. Well, what is utopia? Well, in the Greek tongue, topos, topos or tapos, we say in English, means place. We have topographic maps. What does that mean? That means 
uh, uh, maps of a certain place, topo, uh, topos, topo in the Greek tongue. It's in the New Testament also. Well, utopia, that puts the U in front, is the, in Greek, what they call the alpha privative, that negates the word. Uh, we have lawlessness. Well, that's anamos. Namos is law. I'll put the A in front of it. It's anamos, lawlessness. The New Testament uses that a lot. Well, utopia puts the privity in front, topos, it negates it. So utopia is, means no place. There is no such a place. That's why he called it utopia, and there never will be. It's fantasy. It's a re- now, this is one thing I, I, I admire and like about Victor David Hansen. He's a realist. He recognizes that there is no fantasy. There is no utopia. He's a student of the classic writers. And what he admires about them is because they say, or they try to show the classic Greek writers, some of them, try to show that life is not fantasy. You know, it's reality, and it is not fair. Not fair at all. And if a person will grab that, he'll grab that along with the utter sovereignty of God. Life is not fair, and who in their right mind who's lived 50, 60 years wouldn't say that? It's not fair. But God is sovereign, and he works all this, this goodness and badness, all this evil, together for my good. That's what the Bible teaches. But there is no such a place. The left, the left is the is the party of fantasy, the law of the city, the law of the Greek and Roman city-states is a law of fantasy. And the common law is a law of reality. And the Bible is a book of reality. And that's what we need. How do we deal with reality? That's what we need. A DJ Trump, I think, has that point of view. And for whatever reason, now get this. I don't. The, the, the church that he grew up in was the Presbyterian church. I've read that he was catechized. I've even seen a picture of of him in his catechism class of the Presbyterian Church. His mother, of course, was a Presbyterian because of where she was from. The Presbyterians, the Presbyterians, if there's anything that they believe historically, it is the utter sovereignty of God, utter sovereignty. And they believe in the elect versus the non-elect. And the catechism with which he had to have been catechized, if he was catechized, and I've seen evidence that he is, was the catechism of the Westminster Confession, which is the official catechism of the, historically of the Orthodox Presbyterians. We, do, we call them Orthodox today. They used to be called the Presbyterians. And if that's true, D.J. Trump has it in his mind, no matter what he says or how he's lived, he has it in his mind that God is sovereign and there ain't nothing you can do about it but go along with it. You can't do anything about the laws of nature, but here's the good news, Roger. You can't do anything about the laws of nature. Sometimes we have Daryl with us, and Daryl, he tells us stories about aviation. And one time we were talking, and we were talking about how unforgiving the laws of aviation are. You you can't afford to make mistakes. You'll end up dead, maimed, or something. Well, that's the way all the laws of nature are. But the good news is, when you fly an airplane, you can work with the laws of nature. The laws of nature will not work with you. No, you work with them. And if you try to defy them, you'll end up dead if you're an airline pilot. But if you work with them, you can gain great advantage from the laws of nature. And that's the way all of God's law is. 
whether written in the Bible or uh, shown us in our surroundings around us. That's the good news. But if that's the sovereignty of God, and that's what, for example, the Westminster Confession holds forth as the doctrines of the Bible. It tries to show how the Bible makes sense and these doctrines are true. And that is why America has become the greatest engine of wealth that the world has ever known. And wealth and prosperity, because we have had this idea among us that God is utterly sovereign. We've been Christian, by and large, Christian. That means we believe the Bible. That doesn't mean we're we're Romanist. It means we believe the Bible. The Bible is the foremost rule of faith and practice for humanity. And if you do take that to be your final rule, you'll have it in your head to a great degree that God is sovereign. I work with him. He doesn't work with me. I must learn his will. No, he doesn't learn mine. I learn his, and I work with him. And if I am not willing to do that, the consequences are inevitable, and I'm going to pay the price. Back to you, Roger. You were talking earlier about rights and duties and the fact that the word right isn't in the Bible, but yet uh, what my mind subconscious kept giving me is the Ten Commandments and the do-nots. Do not covet your way your neighbor. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not lie. Those are duties. No, no, no question, Roger, but I I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm glad you said that. I want to bring it up again. Um, The word right does not appear in most translations of the Bible. It appears in mine because that's what it means. But the, the concept is there. It just has a different Greek and Hebrew word, and it hasn't been translated right, right, as the Germans would say it, or the Germanic speakers, and Anglo-Saxon is a Germanic tongue. It's uh, not German, but it is a Germanic tongue, and that word figures important in our past, rights. Rights are duties. You're right. Uh, You're right. There it is again. We use that word. We throw it around like cordwood, but it has a specific specific meaning. Ain't that right, Roger? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Yeah, right on. Well, um, but it is good for us that are trying to live a decent life to come to a clear understanding of uh, what the word right means and uh, what it means in the Bible. So I put it in the Bible because those those Greek and Hebrew words mean right. Let me back up again and say it over. Uh, The word right in our Anglo-Saxon tongue is answers. It has the same meaning as the word jurisdiction and authority in the Latin tongue. Mm -hmm. Jurisdiction, authority are synonyms. Authority and jurisdiction are the same idea, except jurisdiction takes the same concept as authority and limits it to a certain scope. Mm -hmm. Authority is just a general word. Jurisdiction limits it to a scope. But the Anglo-Saxon word that answers to those is the word right. And what is authority and jurisdiction in the Latin tongue and in the Greek tongue, exousia? What is that? That is permission. It is license, either from God directly or from God indirectly through men. But in every case, it's from God. But we don't, I don't like to use the word. I'd try to draw draw the distinction. If it's from man, well, we need to look at it a little closer to see if it's true. If it's really true authority or is it apparent authority? You know, our common law draws a distinction. Oh, here's another word, false flag. What is a false flag? That's apparent authority. Our common law draws a distinction. It says there's true authority and there's apparent, apparent, apparent. It looks like authority. We call it a false flag. That's somebody that's flying the flag of authority that doesn't have authority to do what they're doing. 
By the way, to take it one more step, to take it one more step, that is the prohibition you mentioned of those Ten Commandments, the prohibition of the of the commandment that says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Because the name, whenever you see the word name in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New, that's the way they would communicate authority. In the, we, we pray. Uh, in, uh, we pray these things, we say, in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, right. what does that mean? That means in his authority, not mine. That's what that means. So when it says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, that means thou shalt not fly the flag of his authority. Claim his authority when you don't have it. It, it, it doesn't mean you're not supposed to say cuss words. That really, oh, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to say cuss words. That's, Paul the Apostle says, don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth. But that's a whole different idea. That's a whole different idea. The, taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain is flying a false flag. Fly, flying a false flag. That's like taking an aircraft carrier, and the commander of the aircraft carrier says, I think I'm going to, hoist the flag of the United States, the battle flag under it, with it, and I'm going to go and I'm going to order an airstrike, an alpha strike, on the city of Sydney, Australia, because I'm ticked at those Aussies. One of, them, one of them insulted me. Well, that's a false flag. He's flying the flag of the name, the authority of the United States, claiming he has the authority of the United States to bomb Sydney, Australia, when he doesn't. And that's what that commandment forbids. Do not things that Jesus Christ did not give you authority to do. That's what it's saying. And there are a lot of people doing that. A lot there of people. Sure are. There are a lot of just regular old Baptist preachers saying, I'm teaching the Bible and I have authority to call the shots here. Well, the Bible doesn't say he has authority to govern there. But most Baptist churches that way, most charismatic churches, most Assembly of God churches, not all. Most Pentecostal churches, not all, but most of them. Yeah, the preachers, uh, he says, I have authority to be the, be the government here. The Pope of Rome says, I have the authority to be the government over all the world. That's what his doctrine says. He doesn't. That's a false flag. And when you fly a false flag like that, let me take it a step further. The Bible is a, is a seamless piece of cloth, warp and woof. Uh, when you fly, fly, uh, fly a false flag and say, I have authority. I have authority over this woman when you don't have authority over. I have authority over these children like they do in the public schools when you don't have authority over them. The Bible says, and that's the very definition of antichristos, antichristos, because an antichristos is one that says, I have God's authority to do this, that, and the other, like the Pope of Rome. I have all the authority of Jesus Christ on earth, he says. Well, that's a lie. God never gave Jesus Christ or his father, never, never gave him authority to do the things he's doing, claiming power to forgive men of sins. That's a lie from the pit of hell. But he says he has it. What's that called? That's called an antichrist. Anti, because the word anti means in place of or instead of. It's a preposition, again, in the Greek tongue. And on and on we could go. See, I, I tell people, Roger, I never say much of anything new, and I don't say that many things, but I can, using the Bible, just keep saying them over and over and over with different words and in different ways. And, and that's what this whole idea of authority, antichrist, warrant, jurisdiction, it's all the same stuff. Permission, license, 
But to understand that fundamental single concept, to understand it well, to be able to apply it, to be able to articulate it is a lifetime experience. And that's what God wants us to do. If you or me can understand this one concept of words concerning that particular subject, we'd be so far ahead, every, everything else that we need to know would fall in place. And by the way, I want to add this, Roger. None of us can know everything, obviously. But if you take one of the first principles of God, just one of the first principles of God, and learn it, concentrate on it for years, learn it well, all of the other principles of God will tie into it, and you'll see it. You've got to have a place to dig in and to master. And anybody who has ever mounted anything masters one thing very well. Whatever yep. it is, they try to master that one thing. And if you try to master too many things, and usually what people do, they, they try to master things that are antithetical. I always thought that about Justice Scalia. Justice Scalia, of course, was an ardent Romanist. At the same time, he, he wanted to be a, a constitutionalist, and he was. But he, he scattered his seed, he scattered his energy again, in, within two systems, two traditions that were antithetical, antithetical. And it tried to adhere to both of them. And we've got a lot of the people in positions of power like that trying to do that right now. It is impossible. Do you and know I, that? Say that, I say that in the name that is on the authority of Jesus Christ. He said that. And so I think he's telling the truth. You can't do that and expect to not weaken yourself on in both areas. I'm back to you, Roger. Did you know Amy Conan Barrett was one of his clerks? She clerked for him. Oh, certainly. Yeah, she and she, of course, he she clerked for him because he under she applied and she got out of law school. She he understood her. She understood him. He she was an art. She is an ardent Romanist. Therefore, he understood her. Um, um, Justice Scalia had uh, a lot of good things to say. Very intelligent man. His father was a teacher, a teacher of Latin. I believe he was a teacher in a maybe a high school teacher, but he was a Latin teacher. Well, that brought a love of words to Justice Scalia. His father was a word lover, so he was a word. He is. Well, he was a word lover, and that's what made him worthwhile. And I'm not saying that this gal, Amy, that clerked for him isn't a word lover, too. She probably is. She's right-headed on a lot of things. She's more intelligent. more Clearly, she knows her subject, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that she should be a Supreme Court justice. There are a lot of smart people out there that shouldn't be Supreme Court justices. A lot of them, probably hundreds of thousands. But um, that's there, another There's subject. a couple sitting up there right now that shouldn't be there that, that way. Yeah. Some people shouldn't be Supreme Court justices because they don't have the mental discipline to do it. That That's not, that's not her case. She has the mental discipline. That she does. But that's not the point. There are other reasons, too. Um, God's word lays out what life is supposed to be. How we, what he, God, God's word lays out how to deal with who we are. That's what it lays out. And if we will but deal with our imperfections, and again, this is the commending point of Victor Davis Hansen. I've heard him lecture uh, in, at great length, unpacking the reality, for instance, of war, the reality of war, which... He is uh, well versed. He's a he's a, um, a military historian, and he takes it clear back to the ancient Greeks and Romans to understand those battles. And like uh, General Patton, he realizes men don't change. Why do men go to war? 
That's the, that's the reality of life. And if you want to live in fantasy like the left does, the Pelosi's and the Hillary's, what will they end up doing, denying reality? They'll end up killing more than anybody. And they have. They're a bloodthirsty bunch of vermin. And But they just love blood. They'll even kill babies. While talking about, we're going to have a summer of love in Seattle. What mm-hmm. happens next? Two or three people get their brains blowed out with automatic rifles. And then all of a sudden... Remember the Monterey Pop Festival, Roger? I do. You're talking about oh, the one Monterey with the uh, with the Hell's Angels and the Rolling Stones and and yeah. That was going to be that was going to be the pinnacle of the flower child movement and everything was wonderful and beautiful and there are no rules and we can, everybody can do their own thing. What happens next? Well, murder. Murder. That that took the wind out of the flower child movement and it never came back. But what do they do? Well, they, it come, Well, I say it never came back. It doesn't come back in the same words. But here we had this crazy leftover up there in Seattle wanted to have a summer of love. That's denial of reality. Victor David Hansen does say there is reality. War is one of the realities of mankind. We need, we need to deal with it. And we need to mitigate its damages as much as possible. And we can't do it by throwing away our weapons and, and hugging each other. No, that'll just bring more opportunity for hatred and war. I saw churches do that back in that at that time, the Jesus movement or Jesus freak, the Jesus freak movement. That's what they called it, where all the hip eyes were smoking pot and reading the Bible and hugging each other. What happened? Well, I knew people that were in some of those communes. What happened? Well, it, free love became the I talked to a fellow who became Well, I'll say his name. His name is uh, shucks. I can't remember his name. Uh at any rate, he was <laughs> he was one of the big shakers and movers in the in the uh, homeschool movement. But he was uh, he'd been a hippie, a hippie, and he lived in communes and he wrote poetry. But he told me personally. I don't think he ever came out of it very well. But he told me personally at one time. I had uh, he told me that I was going to a meeting with him, happened to be riding in the same car. And he told me that he tried all that commune stuff where it was free sex and you could trade partners. And he said, I'll tell you what happens. He said, it just flat doesn't work. I said, what happened? He said, well, people get to hating each other. They get jealous. They want to, they want to fist fight over girls, even when they're saying they don't. And everybody's dropping acid and smoking pot. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it never has worked and it never will work. Why? Because men have a taint of evil in them. And the Bible, that book, tells us in detail how to deal with our imperfections. And if we're not paying attention to it, we will destroy ourselves. There, Where the word of God goes, said Coverdale, he was a translator. Before the King James, he, they burnt him at the stake too. But old Coverdale said, he said, where the word of God goes, the Bible, it brings order. It does bring order. And it's our job just to get it out. I can talk about how great it is, but at some point I have to read it and I have to talk about it. It has to be heard. It has to be the, the word of God has to get down in the metal mental sod in order for it to make a difference. But any, Victor David Hansen, if he would read the Bible, he would discover there's military history there too. And there's reality beyond and people and stories and poetry and history and biography that deal with reality and doesn't whitewash any of it. 
Well, back to you, Roger. Well, we got a number of people on the board. We've covered an awful lot of ground. I did want to add before I open it up, if any of you all got a comment or an observation or some analysis, that in that citizen word we were talking about, you mentioned it's in the founding documents and the Constitution. I think the more important aspect is it's in its place and usage in the Declaration because he capitalized it. And in the Constitution, Jefferson capitalized it. In the Constitution, it's mostly small case. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Well, they they took that. They didn't have a word in Anglo-Saxon. Now the early early Puritans called themselves freemen. They were so down on the law of the city. It's hard pressed to imagine. If we were like them, we'd be better off. Of course, they lost it too. Got too arrogant. But they they did for a time. They rejected all of the law of the city, including equity itself. Uh, equity in our tradition of law that was they went real far is what i'm saying and they wouldn't have the of course admiralty law the uh, the king was pushing that on them and they finally well we went to war over that question do we want admiralty law do we want administrative law and do we want to get rid of our juries and they were doing all those things in the colonies and uh, martial law and having soldiers quartered in our houses and no fourth amendment no right to keep and bear arms no right to remain silent do we want that and they they finally said no we don't want that and we went to war and that's why we have this brief this brief of common law government called the constitution of the united states and our common law is the law of the land where our constitution says the law of the land is talking about our common law what is our common law it is due process. It doesn't include due process. No, our common law is the way we do things. Mm-hmm. It's not all, you go to the Constitution. This is the, one of the things I saw. It's a great uh, failing of what Ted was arguing. He was talking about all the ugly things that come out of the Constitution. And I'm thinking, where in the Constitution does it talk about the, the, the any anything really about the law of contracts except to say that we should not impair contracts? Correct. Where does it say thing about family law where does it say anything about the law of torts where does it say anything about the law of trust our constitution doesn't say anything about substantive law it's a document about how we do things how government is to operate and how and our relationship it's about how not what mm-hmm. where does it say that you're not supposed to murder people where does it distinguish between first second third degree, first and second degree murder and manslaughter it doesn't it's a book. It's a book. It's a writing, a writ. It's a brief of common law government about how, and our common law does not include those things. Our common, well, our common law tells us how to deal with murder and family law, the processes we are to use so that there will be fair play and there will be a reliable result. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. I would well, hearken back to the declaration to the complaints against the king. There's two very strong points in there. The first one I committed to memory long ago because it's just so darned eloquent and appropriate is he has erected multitudes of offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass us and eat out our substance. How eloquent yeah, that, is that? Yeah, that's pretty fancy words there. And it's memorable, so memorable you remembered it yeah. and could quote it. And the yeah, other it one, and the other one yeah. that coincides with it is he has brought in a foreign jurisdiction. Well, and then the, that one was the bureaucratic law, the swarms of officers or administrative law, bureaucrats, administrative agencies. And you can read about that's what he's complaining against. And when it says law in a, a foreign law in a neighboring province with the 
with the intent to extend that law into these colonies, that really happened too. And that was the Quebec Act, a parliament, the Quebec Act extended extended the, bound, the southern boundary of the Canadian province of Quebec down to the Ohio River. See, when we went to war with Britain, Quebec included all of, of uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio. And uh, they, they did extend, the law, and Quebec was under the law of the city. See, the Quebec Act not only extended the boundary of Quebec South, of course, Quebec is like Louisiana, it's the only law of the city jurisdiction in Canada, just as Louisiana is the only law of the city, civil law, Roman civil law jurisdiction in America. And both of those jurisdictions settled by the French-speaking people that lived and came to Canada, both of them. And uh, they, the, the people that went down Louisiana left and went down there because the, they, they didn't want the common law. They were French-speaking adherents, votaries of the Roman Catholic Church, and they were comfortable with the canon law, just like they are down there where you are in South America. And so the law of the city, the canon law is the Code of Justinian, the Code of Justinian, the Code of the Roman Empire, fundamentally applied in an ecclesiastic environment. Well, they said, you're trying to extend the canon law of Quebec because the Quebec Act told the people in Quebec they, would, they could establish the canon law there, the, the Code of Justinian, which they wanted because they're comfortable. The Romanist is comfortable with a dictator such as the Pope and apparently comfortable with the Pope running the largest pedophilia ring in the world, apparently. I, that needs to be said. Why aren't people saying, I, it seems like they're comfortable with it. That's my conclusion. They must be. They just want to sweep it under the rug and hide it. It's been around for centuries. But they were extending... The Parliament was extending the jurisdiction of the, the law of the city into their common law territories. All those territories in um, um, Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio were extensions uh, from the Ohio River up through those territories were extensions of the colony of Virginia by land grant from the crown. Well, he just said, I'll just steal it back and give it to Quebec. And they didn't like that. Now, see, that here's an interesting thing applicable today. <laughs> the more I think about the past, how applicable it is. You see, the people in Canada at that time in Quebec, of course, they didn't distinguish between, that was all, these were all British colonies clear up through Canada. The people in Canada were complaining, just like they're complaining today. We, they said, we, we want this area to be French. We're Frenchmen, we're not Englishmen, and we want to speak French. You see, that's what they're saying up there today. And they want to have a Frenchman to run the whole blasted country, which, of course, they have there today up in Canada. And they said there's a lot of the French came in. The French came into the Ohio Valley before any Englishman ever got there. And that's true. I mean, where I'm from in the Wabash Valley, all the rivers and creeks and streams and are all not all of them, but a lot of them are, have French names, uh, have French names because the French trappers got here first and they lived here and they named and they were running all these creeks and rivers and trapping critters, and they named all these things. The Terre Haute, Indiana, see, Terre Haute's a French word. Vincennes on the Wabash, that's a French word. A French, that's a French settlement. St. Louis, just across the way over in the, in the, on the Mississippi, that's a, a St. Louis is a French town. The French settled it, St. Louis, um, after a Frenchman. Well, they said, we want all that back because we're the ones that settled it. And the parliament, why do, why do people in government do things like this? I don't know. They said, okay, we'll just give it back to you. 
Well, that's what the Mexican population in the Southwest is screaming today. Hey, we were here first and we want all this back. And now they're flying the Mexican flag everywhere. And the people in government are saying, you're right, you're right. We're a bunch of mean people. We want to lick your boots, shine your shoes and lick your boots. And we want to bow the knee and you can have all this back and we'll speak Spanish instead of English. That's what they're saying out in the Southwest now. That's what the government of California is saying. Half, nearly half of the people in California are Mexican. But again, with all this ugliness, there's good news. Uh, the Mexicans support DJ Trump. DJ Trump in California, more than the Mexicans have ever supported any Republican ever. Hey, they like the macho. They like his macho image, evidently. Well, just like all people, men are looking for men. The black man on the street in Philadelphia is looking for masculinity. Same so what does he the, do? Same reason the blacks are, are gyrating to him right now. You yeah. just hit us. Not the black females. It's the black males. Yeah, and not only that, though, to make it worse, since Christianity uh, appears to be effeminate, they become Islam. They become is yeah. Islamic because it offers them masculinity. I'm telling you, Roger, there's so much here, and I go in too many directions, and it's up to you to keep me on That's track. That's a great segue. I'm, now, Roger, Roger, I'm disappointed in you, real disappointed. Well, you're getting you lying. Keep <laughs> the line okay, starts. The line starts in Omaha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I got hey, uh, that's a great segue. That's a great segue. <laughs> you know, Brent, the uh, I've been trying to think of a Bible verse, and I can't come up with it. But, you know, you were talking about religion and the fact that a lot of the modern concepts, and of course it's not modern at all, it's been around forever, I have no religion. Well, the fact is they don't even understand the word is the only reason they can say that. But, uh-huh. you know, when I got to understand what the word religion really meant, uh-huh. you know, being tied back to the old ways and, and uh, a, a pious performance of your duties to God and man and the way the religion was understood in colonial days when it was put on paper through our uh, declaration and also in the articles and to a lesser degree in the Constitution, you know, I had that. I, I have come to understand what religion means in a biblical sense. I think much much more than I did, and it basically means how you take care of, as James said, the fatherless and the husbandless. And there are allusions in the Old Testament to the foreigner or the you know the the traveler, the sojourner among you who has no advocate, and. Yeah. So this has come clear in my mind, but it's surprising to me how just because it shows you how amazingly capable and, and, and simultaneously flawed this big computer sitting on our shoulders is, because yeah. in my mind, I knew what religion was now. I've got it, okay? But freedom of religion, in my mind, still dwelt where it had always been not not taking on the new meaning because i had been steeped in the idea of freedom of religions we can worship however you want well okay fine but what does that really mean and of course what i really think it means now being informed as to what james was talking about not it's not a matter of modern concept of worship 
the freedom of religion was the freedom to take care of your needy in the manner you pleased, be it a commune, be it a commonwealth, be it a, you know, um, cooperative, be it however you wanted to do it. The government couldn't tell you how to take care of your needy. But I never, you know, it, it just amazes me. I finally got the concept on one hand, but in the other hand, I still held to the old. And, and, and it never, it was year or more years after that I finally came to the concept, you know, I don't even understand what freedom of religion means because I'm holding to the old meaning. And no. yeah. a, second, a second issue before you comment on that, just to muddy the waters, there's a verse in the New Testament, and I cannot come up with it, but it says something to this effect. Therefore, you having come out of or in out of the old or into this new uh, understanding, you know, being of Christ, why is it that you hold to the old jurisdiction? Would be my way of putting it, but the old ways. What what verse am I trying to come up with there? Well, I'd have to look it up. I've I've heard it and it's familiar to me. But if you ask me what chapter and verse, what you're doing. I can't do it, but somebody—I'll bet somebody's going to get on the internet here in a minute and well, send my it. My daughter's—my daughter's been searching over here while we're traveling, but I'm driving, oh. and I can't—I uh, can't avail oh, give myself me, give of me, that. But yeah, give me. But at any rate, the idea yeah, is give me, just give because me those you words. Gonna, give me those words again. Repeat. Uh, repeat. To the effect of, there you go. I'm sorry. It's. Bob, I it's want you to. to the effect. <laughs> Bob, I want you to give me uh, that verse again. I think it's in Colossians, but I'm going to try to find it. While you're, well, I can only paraphrase. You give me, you can go ahead. It's something to the effect of, therefore, or wherefore you have become new, you know, renewed through Christ. Why is it then that you still subject yourself to the old law, the old, the, the, the world, the old world, you know, the system of the world? Oh, Okay. Okay. Well, go ahead, Bob. Well, that's just a very loose paraphrase. I don't even know if the words are correct. Yeah. But it's the, the idea is certainly valid. But, oh, certainly. Well, anyway, I just wanted to uh, comment on the idea that even when we learn something new, uh-huh. it does, you know, in some high-tech uh, spreadsheet, you know, when you change one value, the whole thing, the whole thing changes to reflect that. But yeah. in my mind, I had come to understand this on one hand, that religion wasn't what I grew up thinking it was, but yet I still held freedom of religion in the way I thought of it in a uh, uh, Declaration of Independence thing. You know, I still held it to mean just what I always thought it meant, even though I knew that religion now no longer means that. And it just amazes me how uh, programmed, how, how programmed we can be and how difficult it is to deprogram once you've you know, grown up in a certain way. How about how powerful the subconscious mind is? Oh, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. That's, that's it. You know, that's 90. The subconscious mind controls 90% of you, your day, and everything else. You're only living normally in about 10% of consciousness. 
Isn't that Joseph Farrell, The Power of an Unconscious Mind? It's Well, I know this. The guy that, that I, Dr. Robert Lipton, that did a lot of research on this, and I heard him on. He was on Joyce's show a lot back in the old days. And he was talking one day about this, that he'd spent a lot of time researching. And he said this, and it struck me because I had already come to the conclusion it was already in my book. When the conscious and the subconscious mind start working together, it is empowering. And that's what happens. That's how they've separated us and disempowered us, is that playing with that subconscious and these equivocations and double definitions of words. And that's what they call super learning, symbiosis, synergy. Yeah. So a minute ago, I was going to open it up and see if any of you guys had any comments. Brent and I have been pretty much monopolizing stuff, and we've covered a lot of fertile ground. I'm sure it had a couple of seedlings pop up somewhere, so now's your time. While we're waiting on that, that verse, while we're waiting on them, that verse is Colossians 2.20. Oh, good deal. 2.20, Colossians 2.20, Bob. Colossians, yeah, Colossians 2.20. <clears throat> From... Version it says, Wherefore, given that you all died with Messiah, away from the first principles of the world order, why, like as living in the world order, you all are dogmatized. Dogmatized. And that that's an that important is, That is too. the verse. 220. Yep. 220. Yep. Dog, it says you're dogmatized, and that word dogmatic. That's that's a Greek word. I that's one of the few places where I, I just transliterate the word. The word dogmatic means that uh, there are decrees that are spoken or things that are said that uh, you accept without any support of evidence. Without oh. any support of evidence, and when the governor says put on a diaper and there's no evidence to support it, that's a dogma. The Greeks would call that a dogma. Mm -hmm. Some people call it a decree but it doesn't have any supportive evidence. There may be supportive evidence, but the, nobody wants, they don't think they have the, they're so powerful or I don't have to tell you why. Like you tell your children when they're little, uh, you, you don't need to ask questions. You just need to do what I say. Yours is not to wonder why. Well, that's what a dogma is. And that's what he's saying here. Why are you submitting yourself? You're no. he didn't say, he doesn't say, why are you submitting yourself to dogmas? It says there's only one word. Why are you allowing yourselves to be dogmatized? It's in the passive. You're allowing people to just tell you what to do, and, and you become dogmatized. Well, back to you, Roger. Wow. I heard somebody use that phrase well, the other day to, in relation to everything that's going on. I'd have really... to say that... Go ahead, Bob. I'd have to say that my, my belief, my my unbending of how I used to hold freedom of religion would be just that. I'd been dogmatized, you know. <laughs> I Even though I'd learned the new style, I hadn't, or the new concept, I hadn't really put it in practice because my dogma was too great. You're right. Yeah. Is there another word for that? Inculcated? Inculcated? Chris has been dogmatized. His dog will probably start barking here in a minute. <laughs> I couldn't help it, Chris. Sorry. That was very good. I'm going to step away for a while. We'll be listening, but I got to do some stuff here. So. Okay. You know what? I think the old. I think. Thanks, thanks for I the think, reference. Uh, uh, I think. Uh, 
Brent um, chummed up our airline buddy uh, who's been in deep waters here lately. Hey, Daryl. Good morning, Daryl. I think he's there. I hope his microphone's working. He's just going to tease us. <laughs> hey, Roger. Yeah, there's Lou. Hey, man, that's his co-pilot. Hey, Lou. That's right. Uh, uh, clear for takeoff. Uh, <clears throat> I was listening just a few minutes ago about they're talking about the power of the, un the conscious and the unconscious mind. Just a, a little. Does anybody ever read the book um, Psycho Cybernetics? I've heard of yeah. it. I don't know that I've read it. Well, many years ago, I when I when I was a flight <laughs> when I was a flight student back in the Naval Air Training Command, an instructor told me about that book and and how to use it for learning how to fly. And of course, the the, the premise of the book I'll keep it short was basically uh, imaging and all that. And what I, what, he, what I did was I used to sit in my room in the bachelor officer quarters and put on all my flight gear, darken the room, and go through my procedures and visualize what I had to do in the airplane. And it took about 30 days for it to really kick in. But at, around that time, I would get in the airplane and do a maneuver that I had never done before. And I would catch myself without even almost thinking, making the proper inputs to do that maneuver. So it, it just goes, I'm just trying to drive home the point that you were making earlier about the power of the, of the mind and, and what you can do. Uh, it, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it shocked well, me whenever I started doing it. Well, Lou, and of course you, you and I've known each other a long time, but you're kind of new around here. And what I've been noticing personally, and then I've seen it in other people, uh, is the empowering process of your subconscious and your conscious mind working together as you untie these knots. It's gradual. It's like you said, it happens a little at a time, but I've seen it in Brian. I've seen it in Daryl. I've seen it in other people. As they get into this, you get personally empowered, okay? And it is that combination of subconscious and consciousness working together is the conclusion I've come to. What I have happened is sometimes I would do things from a reflex action in the aircraft, and I almost scare myself because, God, I can't believe I did that. I wasn't even thinking when I did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty interesting. Hey, welcome back, Daryl. It looks like you got your mic working kind of. Yeah, is it? Uh, give me a give me a sound. You're a little. You're you're still a little distant. You're like you're in a can or whatever that that switch is. You throw that gets you up close. Well, I'll. Uh, I, it's I, not that we. It's not that we. It's it's not that we can't understand. You, it's just the quality of the communication. Okay. Well, if it's if I start to overdrive here, uh, you know, admonish me, and I'll adjust my. Uh, so you're still uh, yeah um we're so glad to have you back that go ahead and talk well uh i was listening uh here uh in the distance here to uh, brent i guess uh he's unpacked so much there i'm gonna have to go ahead and spend another uh, hour and a half this evening and re-listen to it <laughs> so um you were talking about, uh, first thing I have to do is, is address a, uh, 
a, a sophomore's junior high sort of issue, but uh, which is kind of uh, odd since it's such a serious show and subject. But Brent was talking about in the beginning about the AIDS and sexual deviance in Rock Hudson, right? And uh, uh, is anybody aware? Is anybody aware of how AIDS got into New York City? Has anybody heard that? No, I haven't. Well, it, well, it, it, it came up the Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of jokes. Uh, a lot of jokes came out back yeah. then. I remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it came up the Hudson. So uh, you're gonna have to but, stay gone longer. You're gonna have to stay gone longer next time. <laughs> <laughs> Please mention it. We've missed our old friend and his voice and his witticism. <laughs> Those Darylisms, yeah. man. You got to grasp yeah. them when they float in front of you. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Brent was talking about the dogma, dogmatic dogisms. Uh, which I think kind of gives dogs a bad name, but uh, I guess that's a that's a whistle, a whistle. Uh, you know, people respond to the whistle. Maybe that's uh, I wonder if there's something there. But the thing of it is, is uh, it's interesting. You're bringing you're bringing something up here about uh, the lefties and the righties, and I was trying to explain some of this the other night to uh, a close friend of mine. And I said uh, I said this to her. I said, listen. She was saying, can you, can you give me the five-minute version instead of the five-hour version? And I go, yeah. So uh, I said, uh, what, you're, what you're witnessing in real time, what you're witnessing in this, this experimental social laboratory that you're witnessing, you're witness to history, is you're, you're looking at the left and the right, and they have two things in common. So they fundamentally have one basic overarching imperative in common. It applies to the left and the right and all the subsects and iterations in between, fill in all the crevices. And, and here's what they all have in common. They are all equivocated, 100%, all the way through, saturated uh, with equivocation. Now, in the left, it takes on the form, the expression of being fantasized. They are fantasized. Right? So they make up fantastical, fictitious fa fantasies. Uh, on the other hand, which would be the, the right hand, and their form of equivocation comes into form and expression of mythology. They have been mythologized and are totally saturated in uh, this thing called the Constitution and the history of this country, and they don't know a, a damn thing about it. And so their expression, as they express themselves, is through ignorance, illiteracy, illiteracy, incompetence and uh and you come up with this result they can't defend they can't defend it they can't they can't act on it 
And uh, the most, some of the most powerful things you said earlier on in this, uh, uh, your, your discourse, uh, Brent, uh, they cannot, they cannot a, a, attach their spirit and their essence and expression in their duty. And because they don't know what their duty is, it's been separated from them. And this is why they, they actually cannot engage. Uh, and it's frustrating for them. Yeah. Daryl, I was just right before the show, I was listening to uh, an interview. For, I think it's Laura Ingram with Victor Davis Hanson. I didn't get but partly into it, and it's on this topic right here. And the title of it, if you want to go try and look it up, I'll put it at the end of the show description today too. But it's Victor Davis Hanson, Why is Society Starting to Break Down? Very, it's only it's about twenty minutes long, and just the few minutes I've heard was exactly what you're talking about here. And one of the things wow. they came up with about the left, and he said it, and then Laura went back and grabbed it, was their lack of spirituality. Now we we understand they've got a spirituality and it's demonistic, but how they got to that effect and what is lacking in their lives and why they lash out is what they're talking about. I'll stick it at the end of today's show description. And then there was another one that I watched and sent to Brent that we alluded to earlier. That's uh, Victor Davis Hanson on Trump and, and, and a lot of this phenomena. And I'll put both of those on the show description today because they're both real good. Close, closer to the mic, Daryl. Move closer to the mic, bud. I, I probably provoked or caused some uh, response of somebody out there, but I, I just want to, uh, before I jump off, I, I, I want to yield here, but I just want to share something here. Um, this is by, uh, this is a quote by Alexander Trachtenberg. <laughs> he was the uh, American... Uh, uh, Chairman of the uh, Fourth Congress of the Common, common Intern in 1922, <clears throat> and uh, he was a uh, he was an affiliate pre-runner to Bella Dodd, the commie. And he says this in 1922: When we get ready to take the United States, we will not take it under the label of communism. Yep. We will not take it under the label of socialism. These labels are unpleasant to the American people. And have been much smeared too much. We will take the United States under the labels we have made very lovable. We will take it under liberalism, under progressivism, under democracy. But take it, we will. Yep. And uh, so uh, the uh, uh, and here's just one real short one from Bella Dodd herself when she was being interviewed by the Congressional Committee. In 1950s, she says, you know, I mean, you know, you, you got to give it to her. She just she said it right out in front of everybody. She says, uh, the American people have to stop fooling around with just fighting communism in the, wait for it, abstract. They have to, they have got to know what the thing means, why they are against it, and how to fight it. And she nails it. Okay, we got we got everybody running around in their heads, uh, mimicking and repeating uh, drivel that they don't understand, and it's all abstract. Yep. Okay, 
So there you go. So I'll, I'll, I'll yield. Thanks for letting me run on. Okay. So. Good to see you, buddy. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, I would also say, you know, when um, oh the 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 Jew got up in front of the Senate um, and said, uh, "We will take America by conquest or consent." Paul Warburg. Warburg. Yes. That's the Jew I'm thinking about. Paul Warburg. Paul Warburg Jr. Jr. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I thought it was very interesting. We commented on the other day. Uh, Brent, did you happen to see the Tucker Carlson show with this Babinski guy? Have you seen any clips or saw that interview? Brent? I don't guess Brent's seen it. Um, and it was very interesting. Oh, I, I was talking to you, but I clicked off my button. I see. Watching on sourdough. It's pretty hard. Got well, he's a it. Navy. He's a Navy guy, so I figured you might at least got a glimpse of him. Uh, well, I, had, I, saw it. I saw it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I thought the the relevant part of all that was that what brought him forward was Adam Schiff and his claim that it was Russia oriented and inspired, and he called the connection his connection with the Biden bunch. He said, "You get on there and tell him to retract that statement, or I'm going public." Well, the guy can't be too right on. He's a Democrat, isn't he? No, he I said mean, he's kind of apolitical, but he had contributed to Democrats in the past, is what he said. Who would connect themselves or even consider connecting themselves to the likes of Joe Biden or Hillary well, Clinton or Pelosi? I think I'm that, glad he's what he's saying, but he, I wouldn't want to get close to the guy. Well, I think I'm that's how saying. apolitical he was, as he said part of the reason that got him there is because Biden was the vice president, and through his patriotism, that guy has his esteem because of the office. Yeah, but, I mean, would you get close to a guy like Biden? Would you let your mother or your wife get close to him? Good gravy. That I'm glad he's saying what he's saying. Who knows what will happen, but this – is an exercise in madness. Yeah. Now we got people all over the United States clamoring. They want to change their vote. Well, I'm saying, are you that stupid that you would have voted <laughs> Biden to start with? Yeah. Well, that's stupid. In some states, they can do it. Evidently. What? In some states, they can change it. Well, apparently they can. Now, I'm just uh, remembering here that um, Saul Alinsky, Saul Alinsky, by the word, by the the way the word Saul, Saul, S-A-U-L, and they just say, actually, they probably say Saul, but like Raul with an R in, in um, Spanish, but but his name's Saul. He said, his famous statement was, if the ends does not justify the means, what does? If the ends does not justify the means, well, then what does justify the means? And, of course... <clears throat> If you leave the maker of all things out of the equation and his revelation that he has given us, his particular revelation of man, then you would say something like that. And by the way, all of the world will be taken in by that almost because because almost all the world has no concept of the finality of the word of God. So they'll say, well, yeah, well, yeah, uh, Saul uh, has a point. He has a point. So I guess the ends does justify the means. So let's start torturing people. Let's start cheating. Let's start stealing. Let's start murdering. Like Obama did. He murdered lots of people, Roger. Because he said, I'm the president. 
I can assassinate who any whoever I want. That's the kind of evil that gets into government. And I'm amazed that people don't talk more about how many people he murdered, flying the flag of the United States, claiming the authority, claiming the authority of God himself to murder somebody. Listen, if you're going to kill somebody like that, what, who, who else's authority are you going to claim? And getting, it's called taking the Lord thy God in vain. Go ahead. And getting the Nobel Peace Prize for it. Yeah. And setting a precedent to allow him to murder me or you or anybody else. And Kamala Harris says... Look out. When we win, we're coming after you if you support Trump. This is no small matter. It's always on the edge of madness because people, to show you how nutty people are, again, a lot of people already voted for Biden, and now they want to change their vote. That's called, Roger, that's called being, the Bible says double-minded, but the word is not double-minded. It's double-souled. It's two-souled, S-O-U-L-D. You're living two lives. Living that lives two lives with that crowd. They're fickle. The wind will blow them anyway. Anyway, the wind blows, they're they're in it. We need to, we need to go yeah, back to property true. ownership as a requirement of voting. Then you got skin in the game and you pay attention to the issues. Well, that's right. But we've made here's another thing. Two things. Citizenship, where in the world did that come from? And number two, whoever decided who gets to vote. Believe me. The people that invented democracy are in its modern form, the Greeks, they didn't let everybody vote. And when they finally did let everybody vote, what happened? They went under. They're gone. That's what happened because they kept expanding the vote until it got the people who didn't have any stake in the game. And it got so, they even said the poor people are running things because the man that has money doesn't have any. He doesn't even hardly have to vote anymore. Matter of fact, some of the poor men in Rome, get this, that were wealthy descendants of the 300 or so founding families that founded the city that had citizenship by inheritance, they uh, sent governors to other parts of the world, like Judea, another Asia Minor, and Egypt. And the governors, of course, went down there. They had all power. They could do anything they wanted. They enslaved anybody they wanted. They took whatever property they wanted. They did. Like Herod, you know, he murdered all the children under two years of age in Judea. Remember the story from the Bible? Then they enslaved as many as they wanted, came back to Rome when their term of office was over, so wealthy, so wealthy with so many slaves, nobody could compete with them. And the people that were part of the founding families of Rome that had the vote sold their vote. You get, they could sell their votes back in those days. See, there are a lot of things about our common law tradition that they did and had that people say, well, it was like a republic. Well, they tried, but they could never get there. So they sold their votes because their votes are negotiable. That means they could sell them. They could sell them for a lot of money, too. They're and still, the, people, the people that were in politics came back, had money. They forced all those people out. They were in the street. They had sold their votes. They were living in the ghetto, they were living in, in uh, makeshift housing, just like they do in Mexico City, just like they do in California. And the uh, people that had a lot of slaves took over. They had slaves because they just stole them, or they enslaved people. And the people that had legitimate farms in Italy, they couldn't run their farms anymore because they couldn't compete with the slave labor of the office holders. That's where we're going here. It's all, it's all coming around the same thing. But again, there's always good news. The good news is we have the answer. Nobody else in the world has ever had the answer the way we do. 
we've got the we've got the directions that tell us how to handle this evil. Back to you, Roger. I was just going to say they're still selling votes today. If you've been watching these Veritas reports, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, of course, it was worse in Rome, and they said they <coughs> in Rome, Roger, and they said in Greece, but they said the same thing in Rome. Well, they said in Greece, if you keep expanding the vote to everybody, pretty soon the dogs and cats will have the the vote. So they, in Rome, later on, they ran a horse. A that's horse right. That's right. No, it's true. I know it and is. Then, and nobody even knew who, knew who it was. They gave him a name, and they voted him into office. <laughs> and, they said, and they said they were laughing. They were saying, this is the only public official in the Roman Empire who has never accepted a bribe. <laughs> yeah. Not even that an seems apple? to be... <laughs> Huh? What was that? Not even an apple? Uh, yeah. Well, he wouldn't have known that it would have affected his vote, I don't know. <laughs> Chris, you were going to say something? Well, I was going to say that seems to be what's happening today. They're making the march through the institutions, destroying the institution of election uh, by honest elections and making it so preposterously absurd that it's destroying our alleged confidence scheme in the electoral process and making it unsustainable and unsupportable, and they're going to try to tear it down, destroy it, and rebuild it in some other form like C-election like we really have now. It's a mess. Hey, Roger. Doug, I saw you popped up there, buddy, and you even got your audio working and everything. Yeah, I'm still learning here today. I don't know if it disrupted the show, but for about a minute, I had uh, when I got into Jitsi, I I thought I had the window closed uh, from uh, your folk radio playing, but I didn't. And even though it wasn't playing on any speakers on the computer, it was. Yeah, that's okay. You got it straightened out now. How are you doing yeah. today? Well, I'm just blessed every day. Uh, really, honestly, that, that's the way I would describe it. But I, I wanted to say something uh, in this regard of choices people make. Evil, we know there's evil, we know there's good. Well, the way I have developed my um, experience with the Bible and then, and what that's meant for is so that individual people, men and women, even older children, can actually have a relationship with the Creator, the Heavenly Father. And there's only one Creator. There's only one who's the true Creator. And He also has something which is very unique, and it's the truth. He is the truth. And people that have ever lived... Basically, they either want to be followers or control their own life, or if they get into various um, belief systems, they might believe, like, well, I can just believe and um, make uh, do miracles, and you know, it goes from A to Z on this uh, line of thinking. But there's one way. There's, there's one creator. This creator made a way. Okay, that's what the Messiah was. He was the way. And what I'm saying here is, 
if he is the way, and we know that we see, you know, there are people that live their lives, like the people that live, um, who are pedophiles. That's their way. They're really into it. So there's two ways, is my point. There's only two paths. There's the narrow path, and then there's the big highway. And that's the way the Father has broken this basic, easy-to-understand principle down. So everybody, every person that lives, I believe, is held accountable to having access to that, to thinking about it. And so if there's only two paths, then... The way I'm looking at, now the way I look at things, at politicians and uh, videos, I'm wondering first, okay, what side, what path is this person on? Because if you're on the highway, the big one that leads to hell, uh, most people will do whatever they can to survive or get ahead. That's because that's in the nature of that path. It's, it's the total opposite of the creative's path of truth, of, of all of his attributes. We, we are supposed to um, learn about these, and you practice the truth, and then you become it, okay? That's the way it's supposed to be. So at the end of it, you can't, no one can do this by, can live a, a, a righteous life and make a difference, do good, um, unless they're totally committed and tied into the Father, because without his specific instructions and leanings and all the stuff he, he brings in to protect us all the time, that sometimes we don't even realize it, this is what he does. Okay, This is how he works with those that love him, that love the truth, that are really committed, okay? They, the principle is, the concept is that to get born again or baptized, that you die to your old man nature. All of it, not some of it, but all of it. And we have instructions that tell you what those things are. So it's not like it's a guessing game. People can actually know what they're supposed to do by reading scripture that's our instruction booklet so but the main thing i want to leave with here is however many people are actually true children of the most high love him more than their children or wives or husbands or self um he's going to have a personal relationship with you he's going to walk with you and instruct you that's that's his nature. So, what do you think about that, Brent? Hello, Brent. I think that's his. No. I think that's his legal no, I, personality, I, Brent. I shut my. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Roger. No, that's okay. Yeah, I'm here. I shut my mic off, so I won't right inadvertently make noise. But no, I think that's a good idea. I, and the whole thing comes back to this personal relationship. It comes back to religion. Your religion is the definition of your personal relationship with your lawgiver, your God. What is your religion? 
it is your personal relationship. It's not antithetical to it. It defines it. Your religion is your response back to your creator. That's what the word religion means, religare. It's a good word. And it's used, it's in the Bible, of course. James said that there is a true religion. Religion, re, means back or again. Ligare is means to bind, like ligament. It's, our word ligament comes from ligare. And it means to bind back. So it, your religion is your response back to your God. Whatever your God wants for a response or whatever you believe he wants, if it's a false God, that's your religion. If, if your religion says that you must die for your God, as Islam says, well, then your response back by dying or praying five times a day is your religion. If you, if you're the, if you worship the emperor of Japan, as the Japs did on Okinawa and Iwo Jima, and the kamikaze pilots, they said, well, my, my religion, my God says, my religion is I should respond back to him. He tells me what to do. He orders me. And then I obey. <clears throat> I kill myself or die for him. In Christianity, the Bible teaches that just the opposite. It's the true religion. And it says that our God took on the form of a man, reduced him, himself to the span of a man, and he died for us. Well, if he died for us, that's opposite. Then what's our response back to him? That's what Paul the Apostle says oh, after explaining all that, explaining that we, God, our maker, has doomed us to eternal perdition. But then he, in his magnanimity, took on the form of a man and fulfilled his own law of death for sin because he knew he could withstand the punishment and raise himself from the dead. And he did that. Then what's our response back to him? Well, it's our religion. Seeing that he's done all these things, Shouldn't we be and feel appreciative? Shouldn't we be overwhelmed with what he has done? And Paul said, of course, I am. And so how, how good can it be? So we respond back, and all he says is, Jesus Christ said, look, you love me. Just simply do what I tell you to do. Obey my will, which the will of the sovereign. We Reminds call me of that great old hymn, uh, Trust and Obey. <laughs> the guy that wrote that, <laughs> this guy was... This guy was a, he was the head of the, he got to be the head of the YMCA in Terre Haute, Indiana. The guy really? that wrote that song. And he worked there, but the YMCA was the Young Men's Christian Association. That's what it was back then. By the way, that old YMCA building, they're talking about tearing it down. It's been there for better than 125 years at least. But uh, <coughs> he, uh, he was in a meeting in Los Angeles, the story I heard later on. He became a pretty well-known songwriter, and, and he taught music, and he also taught Bible. His name was Samus. And he was at a meeting in Los Angeles, California, about 19, well, before World War One. And the song leader at the meeting said, well, let's sing a hymn turn to so-and-so and we'll sing the first three and the last verse, skip the third verse. That's normal. A lot of song leaders do things like that. And when he said that, this Samus stood up in the back and he said, don't omit that verse. I wrote that song for that verse. Of course, they didn't know he was the fellow that wrote the song at the time, but he insisted that, wow, that they, they sing that verse, and that verse was the one you'd quoted, says, but we never can, well, the whole thing says trust and obey, but we never can prove 
the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who trust and obey. You, you have to have both. The response, if you truly trust, you will obey. That's what the Bible says. Worry about trust. Don't worry about faith. Don't worry about believing that it's all true. That won't get you anywhere. The devils believe, says James, and they tremble. They know it's true, too. But trust is something different. Belief is one thing, and the Bible makes the distinction. The translations don't do a good job of that. But trust, believe on, in, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, no, no. That should be trust on. The preposition on is important. Lean on him. Trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be safened. You will be saved. So it's important that we we trust, and our trust then becomes real when we obey. And if we don't obey, it's not real. The faith that saves, or the trust that saves, faith alone saves, said the Reformers. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. Never alone. It always results in a response back called obedience. Back to you. I remember that. Uh, that uh, hymn has a wonderful melody line, too. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. I agree. Yeah. Oh, Roger. Yeah. Daryl, you, you, you got up next to your microphone? Well, I, I, it, this, this computer disconnected my microphone, so I got it hooked up again. Okay. Listen, I, I just want to make a comment on what Brent was saying there real quick. Um, and uh, it, it won't be as as uh, my my grammar and language is not going to it's going to be for sort of direct and abrupt here uh, we're, we're in a combat situation here and uh, although it, it doesn't appear to a lot of people that we are maybe some people don't realize it and uh, your faith your religion your belief, or what I call for me personally is the knowing. See, I, I don't have to have, I don't have to have faith uh, because I know. <laughs> I actually know. I've had firsthand experience in the knowing, and and the time is upon us to where you're you're going to have to have made your choice in in real physical terms and uh, I the, the difference what's important here from my point of view at this point in time because time's up is that we are all going into combat and I personally will not go into combat with somebody who is afraid of dying I would never go into combat with somebody who is afraid of death and this will be the dividing line of what comes out of this and goes forward over the next uh, period of time here in this contest, this determination. If you're afraid of dying, I would tell you, you have no faith. Well, you and, know, Joe, I'd say if you have fear of dying, uh, then you haven't been converted. In your mind, okay, reality. You don't. You're you're looking towards what's happening on this life, which, if you are learned, 
then you understand you're in the world, okay? The, it's dark. But, we, but our, with, we're to be obedient, like uh, Brent was saying and you were saying, because not out of uh, you're being ordered to do so, your love for the creator, and that doesn't, this isn't just words. You have to invest yourself into understanding him and his word, his truth, his way. And that has to be your choice of life from wherever you started. Yeah. It, that's it. But don't forget, Doug, the well, devil makes I, you volunteer I mean, too. I'm sorry. I said, well, don't well, forget, the devil makes you volunteer too. Well, but I, I, you can be set free from that whole mindset and everything. Sure. Once yeah. you truly get on the Father's team, because why? Um, it's uh, in First um, John 4, 9, uh, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Well, we know what that means. He sent his son. He sent himself. He's always... He's the greatest. He's he's good. He's perfect. He only has good intentions. That that's our heavenly Father. That's the heavenly Father, the Creator, for his those that love him. So, in everything, you know, I I wasn't sure how to take what you were saying, Daryl, because there's been so many times, and I still am on guard. Okay from a protection point of view here because anything can happen any day. So I'm not expecting, you know, I'm, I want to fight. I, I used to get angry hearing of these atrocities and I'd call into radio shows and just rant, just go off, you know, and, and really, and I, I did, you know, I remember one show, I just said, you bastards doing this. You know where I live. Come to my house right now. This kind of thing, you know, on uh, radio shows. Because the it's so distasteful to us. But I'll just end. See, it the personal relationship has to be personal. It'll be unique, just like you and your best friend. Okay, because he is the perfect father. So if you imagine having a perfect father. He's the one. He's the example. Okay, good and he enough. Changes not. Well, Doug, right. one thing that's finite is our time, and we're about to run out, and I always want to try and give Brent Thanks, a chance right. if anybody is new to this and they need more Brent Winters infused very quickly. How can they get that done, buddy? Well, go to commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com. <clears throat> And you can go to the events button and you can see where we're teaching a law class on Saturday mornings. Now you can participate. You can see me. I can't see you. Same thing on Sunday mornings, time and, and the platform we're on. It's all there. The links, you can click on it and you can participate by telephone or on the Internet. You can join us on church, at church, in church. We call it in church, Sunday morning. We're going through the prophet now. And then also you can... Uh, you can obtain the books that uh, yours truly has written. Uh, among those, Excellence of the Common Law, 958-page comparative law text, uh, comparing and contrasting the law of the land and the, and the law of the city on every continent and in every age, <clears throat> from the founding of the city of Babylon up to the present. And then a book about 
the right to remain silent, a book about the history and the uses of it and how to assert it, a book about the, the juror, how to be a juror, what the duties of a juror are, grand juror, pettit juror, also a book about the militia of the several states, the four militia clauses of our Constitution of the United States as a matter of common law, where they come from. Uh, you can get those books and also 30 hours of presentation breaking down clause by clause, blow by blow, breaking down Magna Carta of the year 1215, June the 15th, Magna Carta. At CommonLawyer.com, Roger, thank you so much. As you can see, Brent is one busy hombre, and we're sure grateful to have him here and time out of his schedule on Fridays to go over this really important information that we all really look forward to every Friday, honestly, Brent. So thank you again, as always. We'll uh, see what goes on. I'll be back with you on Monday, the election eve and the first working day of the time change, which happens Saturday night. And uh, I'll see you all next week. Probably a little bleary-eyed. takes me a couple of days to catch up with the change um, because we don't change times here. So I'll see you all Monday, and have a great weekend. Thank you, Brent. Hey, Brent. Thank you. Yes. Hey, Brent. This is Doug. Arrivederci. <laughs> hold on just a second hold on a second doug and when we're off the server you can have a conversation but we're just about to end right here lay that body down and it's friday so jim ram has a replay in next but i just about guarantee it's a good one let me get my harmonica out Accompanied by Doug.